Well, good morning. This morning, you get two preachers for the price of one. Lucky you. <laughs> Ken, people had to pay to get in. We, we get a cut. Wait, okay, good. All right, all right. Uh, most of you know us maybe a little bit, but there could be people online that are thinking, well, who are these uh, two people? Uh, first off, I'm going to put Valerie on the spot. How many years have we been married? 27, right? Oh, Okay, good. And how many children do we have? We have three children. Okay, good. All right. Jeez, all right. <laughs> that was an easy one. We're, we're, we're two for two. Uh, Valerie in life has been an admin assistant. She's an education assistant right now. Been involved in church your entire life yes. and served in many capacities. Yes. I've been involved in church my entire life and served in many capacities. Warren, and, he is a preacher's kid. Yeah. Uh, third generation, actually. Third generation pastor. So... Uh, this is actually the second time that Valerie and I have preached together. We preached together a couple of summers ago, and here we are, ready to go again, right? You ready? I think so, yeah. Okay. All right, here we go. <laughs> so this morning, as Ken said, we're going to focus on what is referred to in the Old Testament as the tabernacle. And we'll see, we'll see how the layout of the tabernacle, the church, uh, how the layout of and the objects contained within are... Hyperlinks to Jesus. Imagine, if you will, oh, there we go. the family okay. dining table. <laughs> we have a dining room table in our home that is very old. My mother inherited it from a distant cousin in the 1980s, and we inherited it from her. It has been in, our, in four homes since it has been with our family. It can be made into a small round table, great for playing games or putting together puzzles. Or eight, up to eight leaves can be added to stretch its length long enough to fit 17 Reynolds around it for celebratory dinners. And I do need to interject. There's the occasional dinner I wish we could take out a leaf or two to eliminate one or two. But... No, no. It has scratches, dents, and other marks. Like some heirlooms you likely have in your homes, it would not be of great monetary value to anyone else. But it is of significant value to us because of what it represents. Family. Memories of joy shared, gatherings with friends, invitations to strangers. That table is a physical object that reminds us of the bigger picture of family. In a similar way, the tabernacle and the objects within it were of great importance to the people of Israel. They were symbols that reminded them of something bigger. The tabernacle was the temporary place of worship and the indwelling place of God. While the Israelites wandered the wilderness after God brought them out of Egypt and the tyranny of slavery they experienced there, it rooted the Israelites to God. They moved from place to place, but whenever they set up camp, the tabernacle was set up in the middle in the same way each time, surrounded by the 12 tribes. The tabernacle connected the people of Israel to God through physical structure, ceremony, and tradition. They had rhythms in their seasons of feasting and sacrifice that reminded them of who God was and what he had done for them. So for us at ECC, imagine that we had to flee Richmond. We would walk together for miles and miles carrying all of our belongings and all the church stuff. And then we would stop, and we would set up our homes. We would set up the sanctuary, the chairs, 
the sound system, the kitchen, the chairs. Sounds like a lot of work. It would be a lot of work. And imagine that we did this continually for 40 years. For some of you, double your lifespan. <laughs> for some of you, triple. Oh, and we did all of this with animals and children. <laughs> Sorry, is that me doing that? Okay. Don't move. I'll try not to move. <laughs> Let's read the description of the tabernacle from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 3 and 6 to 8. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place or the holy of holies. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. God told the people of Israel how to create the tabernacle, to put together a place where he could be with his people. Today we're just going to give an overview of what that looks like. But if you want to know more detail, you can read in Exodus chapters 25 to 27 all of the very detailed instructions that God gave to his people to construct this temporary place of communion and Exodus chapters 28 and 29 give immense detail about what the priests should wear and how they should prepare themselves to enter the holy place. The tabernacle was the place of worship for the people of Israel as they learned more about God and themselves through their time in the wilderness and waited for God to guide them to the promised land. He lived among them in the tabernacle and guided them by way of a pillar of smoke by day and a flame by night. This place shaped their worship and their relationship with God. It established God's holiness among his people. And it's what set them apart from other nations at the time because they were a nation whose God dwelt among them. So remember, our message this morning isn't about the tabernacle itself. It is about its connection to Jesus. We want to point out how the structure and ceremony of the tabernacle foretold the work of Jesus. It tells the big story between the people of Israel, the love and provision of God, and the sacrifice of Jesus to bridge the gap that sin created. Jesus is to us as the tabernacle was to the Israelites. How to connect to God. And thus, it is part of the overarching story of God. How the God of creation longs to be in relationship with his people. Let's continue reading in Hebrews 9, 11 to 15, to discover the Jesus hyperlinks. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of this creation. 
He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all with it by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from sins committed under the first covenant." So as outlined in the first part of Hebrews 9, there were three main sections to the tabernacle. The outer court, the holy place, and that's most of what we're seeing over here on the right-hand side, and then the inner court, or the holy of holies, and that's what's on the left over here. Let's look at each section, what it contains, and how it connects to Jesus. So we begin at the outer gate. There was only one gate to enter into the outer court because... Jesus said repeatedly in the Gospel of John, I am the gate. The outer court area housed the altar for sacrifice and the altar for cleansing. The first altar is where the people of Israel offered up their animal sacrifices to God. It's important to remember that a blood offering was significant and vital to atone for the sins of the people. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us to cleanse us of our sins once and for all. Within the outer court, there's a covered room called the holy place. Only the cleansed priests could enter in. And here you would find the lampstand. Jesus is described in the first chapter of John as the true light that gives light to everyone. You would also find a table which held the show bread. Twelve loaves which symbolized the twelve tribes of Israel that reminded the Israelites was that, that God was the one who sustained them. It is recorded in chapter 6 of John that Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. This symbol continues to have significance for us as we just partook that we come to communion table each week to take of the bread and the wine, acknowledging the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. The altar of incense was also here, which was called most holy to the Lord. Incense, and only incense, was burned upon this altar twice daily. Incense in the New Testament is most often associated with prayer. As the smoke of incense ascends upwards, so do our prayers to God. The connection to Jesus here is that he became our intercessor or mediator between us and God. Jesus has become our great high priest, pleading our case to reconcile us to God. The third section within the holy place is the holy of holies. This most sacred place within the tabernacle was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, upon which was the mercy seat. This was the dwelling place of God. 
And because of the incredible holiness of God, this section was actually partitioned by the veil, which is a really thick, heavy curtain, which separated the most holy God from his people for their own protection. The high priest was allowed to enter this area, but only once a year, only on the Day of Atonement, and the high priest had to follow very specific cleansing procedures in order to enter the Holy of Holies. Jesus was fully God and fully human, a man who walked this earth indwelled by God. There are several scriptures in the New Testament that refer to Jesus as our great high priest. So for the Israelites, the great high priest went in and did these sacrifices on behalf of the people. And Christ has become our great high priest to do that on our behalf. Those great high priests, he did not go into the Holy of Holies on our behalf, but rather became the Holy of Holies for us. Not only that, but we read in the account of Christ's crucifixion in Matthew 27, describing the moment when he died. When Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus, our light, our sustenance, our salvation, our mediator, our great high priest, the one who bridged the gap between us and God, the one whose sacrificial death tore the curtain of the Holy of Holies, allowing all of us full access to God the Father. During their time of wandering in the desert, the tabernacle was always set up in the center of the Israelites' camp, as we showed in the first picture. This models for us how Jesus intended to be the center of our lives and the center of all that we do. The tabernacle and the sacrifices made by the high priests on the behalf of the people of Israel were a temporary measure to deal with sin. When Jesus came, he died once and for all as the final sacrifice. He stood in our place and allows us to be in relationship with the holy God of the universe. We're going to finish uh, reading from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 28. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. With Remembrance Day having happened this past week, I was thinking about how, for me, and maybe, maybe some of you, and generations after us, we, we don't comprehend what we have. We have not had to go through the horrors of world wars. 
I do not have anyone close to me who has made the sacrifice to serve our country overseas for the sake of my peace. I am very much removed from that experience. And yet, I have greatly benefited by those who have gone before me. I rediscovered through the research we did for today that I cannot comprehend the utter holiness of God. The Israelites had such an incredible reverence and awe for their God, an understanding of his holiness in comparison to our humanity. They, were fully, they fully depended on God to guide them, to feed them, to sustain them in the desert. I, on the other hand, have only experienced the benefits of what Christ did for me. The tabernacle is not only a hyperlink to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. He entered into the stunningly holy presence of God on our behalf to plead our case. He could do this because he is God. And yet, he chose to enter our world as a baby. Emmanuel, God with us. We will enter into the season of Advent in two weeks. Advent is a time of anticipation, waiting to celebrate the birth of our Savior. But we also wait for Christ's return, as stated in verse 28. And to read it again, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I came across an article by Melissa McLaughlin in the process of preparing and appreciated this thought that we're going to leave with you today. In order for us to draw near and worship him, we must recognize that above all, God is God and God is holy. The building of the tabernacle helps us recognize this truth because by its very design, we must worship him in reverence, fear, and awe. And yet... God is also loving and provides a way for us to draw near. He loves us, and being near his presence is his greatest act of love for us. Let's pray. Father, I can't imagine how difficult those days of wandering the desert were for the people of Israel. And as we hear the wind outside, Father, and imagine the rain that must be coming as well. Just a, a, a small example of, of the many challenges they, they might have faced. It may not have been wind and rain, but it would have been starvation and dryness and just the tedium of day after day of the same thing over and over again. And yet you provided for the people of Israel every step of the way. From the food you provided to your guiding presence. Smoke during the day, fire by night. Help us to remember, Father, that the tabernacle is ultimately pointing us to the person of Jesus Christ. 
and remind us that all of these symbols, the altars, the lampstand, the bread, the ark, the veil, all point us to Jesus, our great high priest. Remind us that Jesus has bridged the gap. He has overcome that barrier between you and us that our sin has caused. Help us to remember that your son came to this world in the form of a baby to be fully man while fully God in order to provide that ultimate sacrifice for us. Help us always remember, Father, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have cleansed us of our, all our sin, have bridged the gap, and restored our relationship with you. Father, our, I hope our response for all of us is thank you and acceptance of this amazing gift and a renewed commitment each day to follow Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.